0: Grateful that you're here today, excited what God is doing. Thanks that you guys made the trek to church on this beautiful summer day. Welcome to June. It's an exciting day to be alive in the kingdom of God. We're doing this series called Brave. We're looking at brave women in the Bible. There's brave men in the Bible. There's brave women in the Bible. There's brave youth in the Bible. These next few, the last few weeks and the next two weeks, we're talking about some of the brave women in the Bible. Jeremy started off this sermon series uh, with some of the midwife and some of the brave women in Egypt and how they l- brought Moses into existence and how they were there nurturing so that he can lead them out of Exodus, uh, or, uh, in that Exodus. And then the week after that, we did the daughters of Zelophehad who went before Moses to challenge them. And last week, we talked about a faithful story of the, the Syrophoenician woman, and we continue on this Brave series today. And hopefully, it's, if you're a man, don't get upset. This is a story to edify all of us. You know, before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about the brave church that we, li- that we are at today. And I'm really not a journey promotion guy. I don't think that's what the church is supposed to do. I don't believe we're supposed to tout our backs and say how great journey the church is and how much we're doing. But uh, there is some things that we need to do. This is a brave church. And I know a lot of different churches. I know a lot of different pastors. And Journey's do- Journey does a lot of things completely different. One of the things that we don't do is those prayer cards, we don't measure them every week. We don't ask you to put a prayer card in. We don't ask you to sign up and check the box and do all of that stuff because that's not important. What's important is that you're not physically here and checking in your attendance, that your heart's here and that you're here with God trying to be ministered to. That's the thing that we're focused on. We're not focused about money. We're not focused on buildings. We're not focused on programs. We're focused on connecting you to Jesus Christ. We're focused on giving you an authentic worship time a real live message that makes sense so that you can understand Jesus and walk in the ways that Jesus wants you to walk. We want to get you into a prayer life where you can understand that I can pray in a team for people to hear the love of God, to be transformed, and to be saved. That's what we're trying to do. And finally, we're here to give real authentic relationships. You know the thing about churches? We are so uh, uh, afraid to tell people bad news or give them tough love. The truth is we need that. And that's what a real relationship and journey is, is we give tough love and we give great love. We're a loving church, and that's what we're really about. Here's the last thing I want to say about being a brave church, is what we challenge you to do is take steps forward. If you want to get connected, if you want to go into a deeper relationship with God or service at the church or do something deeper, you need to take that step forward. And what we do is our men and women's kiosks are out every week, and we're asking you to step into the kiosk and say, I need prayer, I need to meet with someone, I need help, I want to serve, I need a deeper relationship, and someone at the women or men's kiosk will connect you with someone that really wants to meet with you. If it's myself or Jeremy or Dustin or Jeff Foss or John Urango or my wife or whoever it is, we want to meet with you. So be brave and take that step. That's who we are at this church, and we're excited. Joshua writes about who we are. He's taking over the reign the reign of, of Moses, and he's leading his people into the promised land. He's asking us to go into a deeper place. And before we get there, here's the words that, that, that are, are in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. I've commanded you to be brave and strong, haven't I? Don't be alarmed or terrified. Don't live in fear because the Lord God is with you wherever you go. Don't live in fear. Most of us are, are struggling with anxiety and fear on a daily basis and partly because we don't believe that God is with us. And he's here, he's here now, and he's working for all of us so that we can understand who he is and get into that deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Now this week, uh, I had one of my parents had a heart issue and his heart stopped four times and uh, twice it came back and he was in the hospital. And as we were driving up, uh, I did a wedding. My buddy Brian and Emily uh, Kreitz, congratulations guys, good to see you. I did church and a group of us went to this wedding and we went and slept after dancing all night, a couple hours and then got up and drove and as I was driving Looking at, thinking about, you know, what are we going into? Is, is, is uh, my dad going to make it? Uh, I asked the question, what is the purpose of life? What is, what is life's purpose? What is it about? What do we do? And what do you say to someone whose heart stopped a couple times and someone that you care about and you don't want to pass? And, and I was thinking about this, and as I thought about it, I went to a book that came out about 25 years ago. And this happened, I found it in the garden. We planted it to kind of, it's good, fit, food. And uh, this book uh, was something going on 25 years ago. It's now had 30 million copies sold, and I'm not trying to sell books. We're not a purpose-driven church. But I went back to this book to go, what is the purpose-driven life, and recall what the challenge was. And I don't know if you guys remember this or did this book, but in Proverbs chapter 11, 28, I think I have the verse up there. I'm not really a guy that, believe, uh, that reads the message translation. I think it's a great translation. I just don't read it. But here's what I read, NLT. It says, trust in money and, and you will go down. But the godly will flourish like leaves and springs. And I love that. But here's what it says in the message. And I think the message is way more powerful. It says this, a life devoted to things is a dead life, a stump. A godly shaped life is a life flourishing with trees that's a powerful statement. If I focus on a life with about things and about property and possessions and relationships with man, woman, and child, my life is dead. It's like a stump. What does a stump do? Anybody ever cut down a stump and then look at it for 10 years going, one day we're going to pull that thing out? It's horrible. Nobody digs out stumps. It's terrible. You hire somebody and you're really grateful that they do it, but it costs a lot of money. But a God-shaped life is like this tree that you're connected to the heaven, and all of a sudden it's shelter and 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 comfort. And that's what we're supposed to be. That's the purpose of our life. Now, when Rick Warren wrote this book, the average life expectancy when he wrote the book 25 years ago was 25,550 days. Now, today when I Googled it last night, it says just in a matter of a a generation, our life expectancy has jumped to 27,375. We've gained like 1,800 days just in the last 25 years because of medicine and technology. And uh, that's really cool. So today I want to challenge you. Today uh, I'm not going to the Rick Warren 40 days of life. What I want to do is the next 40 days, what will you do with your life? What is your purpose? As I'm thinking about it today, one of my daughters has got a, a scholarship from, from, from the church, which is awesome. Another daughter's promoting from eighth grade into high school, which we don't want that to happen our little baby, and then today happens to be my other daughter's birthday who's graduating next week also. So there's a lot of good things happening. And as I look to my daughters and tell this same story, what are you guys going to do the next 40 days? I challenge all of you as well. Our family has looked at 40 days many times in our life with relationships, with struggles, with attacks, with with things at the church, and we've gone through 40-day segments to say, we are going to walk through this together. We're going to pray and ask God to do something within 40 days. And between now and the next 40 days, the next 40 days will actually be our birthday, July, uh, July 15th. Our church actually started on July 15th, was a Wednesday, July 15th will be six weeks from today, and it'll be 40 days. And we're going to ask, what will you do in those next 40 days with the purpose of God? What is the significance? Whenever God wanted to prepare someone for his purpose, he took them through a 40-day trial or a 40-day preparation or transformational thing. Look at this, a journey with purpose. Look at all these people that had the same exact 40-day experience. It says, Noah's life was transformed by 40 days in rain. Moses' life was transformed by 40 days on Mount Sinai. The spies were transformed by 40 days in the promised land. David was transformed by Goliath's 40-day challenge. Elijah was transformed when God gave him 40 days of strength on a single meal. Man, I need that diet plan. The entire earth of Nineveh was transformed when God gave the people 40 days to change. Jesus was empowered by 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. And the di- disciples were transformed by 40 days with Jesus after the resurrection. What that means is the significance of 40 days. In psychology, it says it takes 21 days to break a bad habit, smoking or whatever. And it takes 21 days to reaffirm that habit. That comes up to basically 40 days. The Bible, it's the same psychologically as it is in the, in the biblical scripture. So today we're asking, what can you do for the next 40 days? To get yourself back on track or to move beyond a place of fear or to, to walk away from something that's holding you back. I want to challenge you and hope at the end of this message that you will take this and take the gifts that God has had and you know, walk in these gifts for the next 40 days and watch God do something spectacular in your life. Today what I want to do is I want to use the book of Esther and uh, talk to you a little bit about the book of Esther. But as we are talking about the book of Esther, obviously it's 10 chapters. We can't go through all of it. But I want to use some of the, this great movie. If you guys ever seen this movie, it came out in 2006. It's called One Night with the King. And uh, it's a great movie, and I'm going to use some of the movie clips on it um, because this movie is really special to me. I was married in 2006, and this movie reminds me of my wife. So I got a picture of our wedding day. There's my wife hiding right now, running up. And uh, this movie means a lot to me because you can see the similarities, except my wife's way hotter than that other chick. And she got to marry a king, so that's awesome. (laughs) Hey, self promotion, that's why I'm up here. It's truly been a blessing to be married. Um, So we're going to use some of the movie clips, and what I'm going to do is uh, this week, honestly, I I texted my buddy Dustin, and I said, hey, Dustin, can you give me some information? I'm looking for a story of Esther that I could tell on the Wednesday sermon, and and he goes, yeah, let me look to my Bible collection, and he gave me this. This is what he reads on a normal basis. I showed you this. So that's the title of our message right now. It's called Brave Queen Esther. And the truth is, what I want to do is I want to tell you this story through a children's rendition of it, and then I want to stop in chapter 4 and read so that we can understand the power of this message. The book of Esther and the meaning of Esther really tells us about the purpose of life. And and, And here's the thing. I like to preach and I like to get all excited and foam coming out of the mouth just yelling about Jesus and how much he loves you. Today the message is going to be about Esther and what she did and the power comes from the words and knowing the story and what you're going to do after that. Does that make sense? So we're talking about it using movie pictures uh, from One Night with a King. The book of Esther uh, begins with King Vesti rejecting King Xerxes' request to meet him. When, when Xerxes uh, figures out his wife Vesti's not going to come, he basically says, what are we going to do with this lady? He brings his counsel, and they said, we got to get rid of her because all the women on, in the providences will act like this. And so they get rid of Queen Vestie. Now, as Xerxes loses his or gets rid of his queen, he's now on a search to pick a new queen. And after a long searching process and beauty treatments and preparations of this harem... Eventually, Xerxes selects Esther, this young, secretly Jewish woman, to be queen. This is what she looked like. And then there's this queening ceremony where she gets deemed queen. She goes through this long process. And remember, when we, when we think about the purpose of life, there's a long process that's included. Now, here's a little bit of the backstory about who Esther what, who she is. She was an orphan who was raised by uh, her cousin Mordecai. Uh, his uncle, Mordecai's uncle, Esther's parents, were killed, and he took her as his own daughter and raised her to be a godly Jewish woman, made God the center of their life. When King Xerxes was looking for a young virgin to be the queen, Esther won favor with one of his servants, Haggai, and Haggai knew that Esther was the right person, so she molded and shaped her so that she could become anointed queen, and she was. Now, Mordecai, as the story goes, Mordecai is now at the gate, and he happens to overhear where these two uh, people are trying to kill King Xerxes, and so he hears this message. He runs to Esther, tells him the plan is thwarted, and as what happens many times in life, Mordecai earns brownie points. That's all he gets, and we'll come to that a little bit later. But he really doesn't get anything beyond just some brownie points, but the king's life is saved. Now, there's an evil character, and as in every movie, and there's an evil character, and his name is Hammond. And he was an evil counselor to King Xerxes, and he created treachery, treachery in the king's court. When Mordecai refused to bow down to him, this is the type of guy that loved people to bow down when they walk in the streets. You know how there's always a second or third in charge, and they want to walk around and tell you how important they are? They're not the top dog, but they're second or third, and they want respect, and that's what this guy was. He wanted everybody to know, I'm the second and in charge, and when I walk the streets, I want you to bow down. And Mordecai, a faithful, godly man, says, I refuse to bow down to anybody but God. And because of that, Haman got uh, uh, furious, and he engineered a plot to murder all the Jews in Persia. And here's kind of how the scene went. The plot basically involved Haman going to the king and goes, I think we should kill all the Jews in in Persia, the Persian Empire. And the king says, all right. That's it. (laughs) That's a little paraphrase there, I'll tell you guys. Mordecai hears of the plan and sees the, the there's a, a decree that's sent out to all the providences and the city of Zuzah. And he goes, th- he goes and shows this to Esther, and he's crying and wailing at, at, at Esther's gate. He can't come in because he's in sackcloth, and he's trying to get a message. And that's kind of where we pick up. So if you're able to stand, let's stand. We're going to read from Esther chapter 4. We stand be- before God with his word because this is the most powerful element in the world. It's his word, and it speaks directly to our heart. And we're going to read a couple verses, and then we're going to pray. And so Esther has sent a, a servant out to Mordecai to understand what's going on, and here's what it says. It says, Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasure for the destructions of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the decree issued in Zusa that he called for the death of the Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king and beg for mercy for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. I just want to stop there for a second. I just want to pray. The power of this message is what you're going to do with it. If you're willing and open, ask God and the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now. Ask him to start that 40-day transformation. Ask him to start speaking to you personally. Asking him to bring you and enhance your salvation experience or let someone in this church experience salvation. So, Father, we come before you and we ask for the power of the gospel to speak, the power of your holy scripture as what it says in the Bible. These are holy words from you. I pray today wherever we're at and whatever we're struggling with that your holy word will build in us a relationship with you so that we can have that beautiful purpose in your life, in our life with your life, Lord. Bless us today as we hear your word. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. So here's the situation. I don't know if you guys have ever, anybody text message here? Wow, you guys are high tech. In my family, I was just looking at Verizon, our, our, our account last night. I have four girls, and I text more than all of them combined together because they're into Snapchat and DMs of other mediums, but still. This is like a text message. Mordecai and, and Esther are texting, and they've got this guy named Hathak, and he's just running these messages. And it's kind of a funny thing. It's, it's really not, it's not really a good form of, meth, uh, of conne- communication. I was thinking about texting the other day. I'm texting my daughter, come down for dinner, instead of just getting my lazy butt up and going to get her. Honestly, I didn't change. I still texted her, but I thought about it. That's a good thing. <laughs> Here's this place where they're making these text messages. And so verse 9 says, So Hathak returned to Esther with uh, Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak, Go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials, even the people in the providence know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to death unless the king holds out their scepter. Here, she now sees some some contention here in the Bible because now she's saying, listen, if I'm not invited, I have death as part of my journey. It could be part of my life. And that's something that we're going to kind of really dig into in a few minutes. But here's what she says. And the king has not called for me to come to him in 30 days. Now, listen, he's married, and he hasn't talked to his wife in 30 days. I do a lot of counseling. This is the first thing. If you're struggling in your relationship, 30 days is too long to go. Here in his situation, 30 days, he hasn't called her. And it's because he's a king, and I'm sure he's got other things going on, and probably other women um, but here's what it says. So Hatha gave this message to Mordecai. Mordecai then sends her a reply, uh, sends a reply to Esther. "Don't think for a moment. Now listen, don't think of it as Mordecai. Think of it as your father that you truly respect, that's taking care of you in your darkest moment, and she trusts this man with everything in her, every fiber of her being. That's this message here. This is his response. Don't think for a moment. Because you are in the palace that you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief from the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your relatives will die. You know what stands out to me here? When I read the message, I ask questions. And, and when, I read, when, I, when I read this, I, I ask questions. And do you realize when God tells you to do something, do you realize when he says, go talk to that person in Starbucks or give that person money or go to that person in church and tell them you're praying for them or take them out to lunch, when, 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 when you do it and you, or when you hear from God and you refuse to do it, this tells us God's will is still going to get done. Somebody else is going to be obedient, and listen, and it's going to happen, and you're going to end up missing out on the blessings and ultimately die and miss out on what God has for you. The challenge for us is to make God our purpose and our hope and our, and our love so that we can truly make him part of our life. God wants us to, and this becomes the most important part in the book of Esther. Here's what it says. Who knows? This is Mordecai now talking to his beloved daughter, someone that he truly cherishes, and someone she cherishes. He says, who knows? Perhaps you were made queen for such a moment like this. Perhaps, Esther, this is what your whole life is about. Perhaps this is the whole reason why your parents had to die and that you had to be adopted and you had to go through this whole long process to become queen. Perhaps this particular moment is all you're supposed to do. And everything beyond it is meaningless. This is what you were built for. That is the message of this story of Esther. Perhaps you're in that same situation. Here's then Esther's reply after she heard this. Now, I hear this and say, perhaps, Jeff, you should be doing this, and you should walk through uh, some of the struggles. And I'm like, I'm going to complain. I don't know if that's what God wants to do. I don't know if he wants to kind of react like that. I don't know if that's, is that God really speaking to you? But here's her response. She dearly loves this man. And she says, Esther replies to Mordecai, go and gather all the Jews of Zusa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day, night and day. My maids and I will do the same. And then I will go against the law and I will go see the king. If I must die, I must die. I'm going to ask you a question. Would you die for God? Would you die for God? Now, I, I, honestly, I, I sit here and I've got beautiful daughters and when, when, when we're in the middle of the night and th- things are going on and the dog's barking, I'm like, Liz, go and get there, get up. <laughs> uh, that's Honestly, that's the truth. You ask her, she'll tell you that's the truth. But here's the thing. I would probably die for my family. If something went down, I would kind of go after the villain and, and, and die for my family. I would probably die for... Well one or two of you guys out here I had to look through. I this section, I don't know. Nothing over there at all. But but would I die for God? We we say yes and an amen to that? But really? Would you go into a place, because we don't experience this in the United States. You go to Africa, we go to Jerusalem, and you go into these things, and all of a sudden you're in places where people don't want you there. When you go into places in third world, we say we want that, but here's the thing. She stands up and finally is brave, brave enough to make this decision. If I must die, I must die. Now, me and my sister were driving back on Friday night late, and we were having this conversation, and I kind of challenged her. I said, what is the purpose of your life, and where did you make some huge changes? And as she went and told me the story, and she's my sister, so I know the story, but we got into details that probably we've never had before. And in the middle of every time that she came to a moment of great purpose and great challenge and bravery, she was riddled with fear, confronting a family member. And telling the truth of a, to a family member. Confronting uh, 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 her son. Confronting all these other things in her life. And there was just fear. And now we come to Esther. She's fasted for three days. And now she's full of the Holy Spirit. And she's willing to go in and die. If I know die. And here's one of the parts of the movie. She's standing before Xerxes. And she's wondering, is he going to raise the scepter? Or is he going to die? We know that he's a loose cannon. He's already gotten one wife. Why not get rid of another? And so here's what happens. Esther chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her robe and entered into the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his throne, facing the entrance, and when he saw Esther, Queen Esther, standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her so that Esther could approach her and touch the end of the scepter. And here's a picture in the movie. And Xerxes kind of comes in and says, hey, Esther, and here's my scepter. And he reaches out, and, and, and he accepts her. And as he gets there, he says this. He says, you know, what would you want, my queen? I'll offer you uh, up to half of the kingdom. You know, I was talking about this in first service. I'm like, I'm pretty greedy. I'm not, I'm, you know, I give Jesus a tenth or 15%. I'm not giving him half. Why am I going to give this lady half? He's going to ha- offer half of the kingdom, right? But here's what he says. It's like, I'll offer you half of the kingdom. And all she asks for is a banquet with him and Haman. So... The next day, they agree, and Hammond agrees. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, this evil Hammond guy, he goes home, and he's like, look how great I am. I had the greatest day of work that I've ever had. You know, I've got this decree to kill all the Jews, and, you know, I've been invited to Esther and King Xerxes' banquet. They really love me. I think they want to honor me. And he's coming up, and he's puffy-chested, walking around. It's like, look at me and what I did at work today. And his wife... And his friends come to him, and he's like, the only issue I have is Mordecai. This guy won't bow down before me. And his wife says to him, in first service, Randy and Janet, uh, they're one of the elders and council and women's leader, the wife looked to him and said, why don't you just hang him? Think about that for a second. Your wife, you're going in, and it's like, Liz, we got a problem with the church. What should we do? Why don't you just hang him, honey? <laughs> Put a gallow up in the backyard. The backyard's looking good right now, and let's hang him. All your problems are going to go away. And that's really the decision that her, his wife and his family made this decision. And so they build this huge gallow. And the next day, as he's going back to, to the king's castle, he's kind of excited because he's like, man, I've got the gallows. I'm going to kill Mordecai today. And as he shows up, the night before, King Xerxes couldn't sleep. And so he read the king's annuals, which are all the activities that had happened day by day. And he found out as he was reading, it's like, hey, this Mordecai saved my life. Did we ever do anything for him? And everybody said no. And so when Haman came in, he said, what should we do to honor somebody that we truly want to honor in the kingdom? And Haman thought it was him. And he said, put on a royal robe, take him into the town with a donkey, and shout out, this is how the king honors people he loves. And, and that's what Haman's advice was to Xerxes. And, and the king said, do that for Mordecai. And Haman's heart dropped. He dropped like my evil enemy is now the person I'm going to lead around and tell this is how the king honors They go to the banquet after that, and here's the interesting part of the story. I don't really understand it, but it seems like she's in fear or she she has a better plan, but as the king goes and they're at this banquet, she goes, he goes, what can I give you? I'll give you up to half of the kingdom. He goes, will you come to another banquet tomorrow? She's prepared all this food. Everything's ready, and I don't know. I don't really know what happened here, but all she wants is another day, and the next day, they show up, and they're in this banquet. And finally, Queen Esther says to him, she goes, Honey, King Xerxes, somebody wants to kill me and my people. And he says, Who is it? And he says, It's Haman. He's got a decree against all the Jews. And, and, and the king went off and ended up hanging Haman from the gallows. They're in this beautiful banquet, and all of a sudden, Haman is now the evil, evil one. Now, when the king makes a rule, it's kind of like when we have a bill in Congress, you can't just get rid of it and say, hey, that bill's null and void. He has to make another decree, and his second decree was that the Jewish people in Persia could fight anybody that wanted to fight them. And so that was the decree, and here's kind of the end of the story. The Jews of Persia massacred all of Hammond's agents and supporters, roughly 75,000 people all on that day. Mordecai became the counselor, and because of this, there was a festival called Purim, which is an official holiday to celebrate. Now, I think the most important part of the message is this. What do we look at Queen Esther and the story about how she was and who she was? We were trying to figure out what is our purpose in life. Well, here's four things that we should make part of our life and look into this story a little bit deeper. The first thing we see, and this might be in your green sheet of paper, it says, God's plan for you is no surprise to him. Do you realize that God has a plan for you? And he's not surprised by the way things are going in your life. The thing is, he might be surprised on the way that you're reacting. The faithlessness or the faithfulness, the sobriety or the numbing. The the anger and the unforgiveness or the great forgiveness. He's not surprised by the plan, but he might be surprised by what you're doing. Here's some of the uh, proverbs that help us understand that. The heart of man's plans, the heart of man's plans, man's plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God basically is saying man has his own plans, but I direct your steps. He's the one that's directing and guiding. And here's another one that really helps it. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We have these ideas. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to raise my family. This is what I'm going to do to lead the church. This is what I think we should do. But really, God's purpose is the one that's going to stand the test of time. If I'm not going to follow God's will or we as a church leadership or people aren't going to follow God's will, he's going to bring it in through someone else somewhere, some other way. God's not surprised by where you're at in life and his plan. The second second thing, which is a a struggle, I struggle with this not because I don't believe in this, but I talk about this a lot to people week in and week out, and that God's sovereign plan. We talked a little bit about this on Easter, that God is in control. He's He's in charge. He's the CEO of everything in this world. But you have free will that gives you control of your own destiny. You choose to follow Jesus or follow an antichrist life, an opposite life. You choose and you have control. God is in charge and he is sovereign and can change and do and stop and thwart, but he also gives us the ability to destroy our own life and, and hang our own selves on the gallow. Listen to Esther. Esther was a baby and maybe when she was four or five years old, she dreamt of what her life was going to be like. Maybe I'm going to be a princess one day and I'm going to be swooped up by this guy in this knight in shining armor. And God says, maybe that's true, Esther, but your parents are going to die. You're going to have to be adopted. And for you to really live out your purpose, you're going to have to really go before uh, this same man that you want to be swept off with. And you might have to die to make this really work. That's the sovereign plan of God. Listen to what Psalms 97.9 says. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth, and you are exalted far above all the gods. God is sovereign, and he's above any God that any man has ever made, and he's above all the earth, and he's above all the gods, and he's above all the heavens and earth. He's in charge of everything. He's got this plan, and our job is to connect to that plan so that we can live out that full purpose. The third part is this, that God is always working behind the scenes. You know, to make a church happen, you know how many people it takes? We did a a volunteer thing a couple of weeks ago, and we had 150 people that volunteered at this church. 150 people, not on one Sunday, it's about 35, but there's about 150 people that volunteer. God likes to work behind the scenes, just like a lot of people in the church. He's not afraid to get up on stage and make them things happen either. But he likes to do a lot of things behind the scenes. God arranges every single detail for his glory. Not your glory and not your will and not your plan. He arranges things so that you can be in that same place Esther was. It wasn't wasn't a mistake that Esther was beautiful, that had this elegant figure. It wasn't a mistake that she was charming and beautiful. Look at Esther chapter 2, verse 7, and you'll see that. It wasn't a happenstance that Esther was a Jew. Really, that was God's plan. All of that had to be part of the plan to save his people. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. God is working in you and through you to give you the power and desire for him not for yourself. And so when you're going upstream against God, it seems like a lot of work and nothing's right. When you're going downstream with God, even in chaos and in confusion, peace and comfort and ease is there. And that's what God wants for us. And here's kind of the last part, maybe the toughest thing for someone to hear today. God has placed us where we are for a reason. And somebody's like, I don't like this place. I don't like the place I'm living. It's small. It's stinky. It's not big enough. I had dreams of mansions and, and, and private islands. But he's got you right where you're supposed to be. He's got you right in this spot where you're supposed to be. And, and the question is, are you going to live out that purpose that he has for you? Or are you going to kick and scream and complain and whine, as I would, dragging all the way out of the church going, I don't want to, I don't want to, are you going to say, this is where I'm at, Lord. Let me take the steps. Let me go through that process. Let me follow your plans so that I can live out your purposes. That's what God wants for us today. And here's what he says. Mordecai uh, encourages Esther to go before the king. Esther says, I don't want to go before the king because I might die. I don't want to go before the king. I might die. And he responds with this great defense. Who knows, Esther? Maybe you were made king for this one moment. Maybe this is your whole life and it's his whole purpose. Maybe you're in a situation right now where your marriage is on the line, you're struggling with your kid, or there's a moment where you're going to walk away from some habit that's holding you back. And God's asking you, will you make that change? Will you? Maybe you're here at this moment, at this time, so that you can step into your true purpose for the kingdom of God. When I think about my life, I've gone through this several times. I've gone through 40-day periods probably six times in the last eight years. And there was a moment where I sat in jail and made this decision. If God is for me, who can be against me? Amen. If God can do a work in a knucklehead like me, If he's for me, then who in this world can be against me? And that's what he wants to speak in our life. The Apostle Paul understood this. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is writing about we are to be uh, instruments of worship. And then he says we are all one body with different parts. And as we close today, I want to challenge you. This message is more of a challenging message. What are you going to do with the next 40 days? How are you going to live out your purpose? And what gifts has God given you? So that you can truly live out those purposes. Here's what Romans, uh, Paul writes in Romans. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. God has given us gifts and he wants them to do well. When we're doing out our true gift, I've taken a gifts test several times. When you're doing your true gift, God's blessing upon you is, is, is amazing. They call it you're anointed in whatever that gift is. It just goes easily. It's natural for you. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't use other gifts, but here's what Paul writes. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, hear the word of God and speak those words to other people, speak them out with as much faith as God has given you. If he's gifted you to serve others, then serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. And if he has gifted you to show kindness to others, do it gladly. Here's the point that I'm trying to say is today on our website in the resource section and tonight about 5 o'clock, we will be offering a spiritual gifts test online. I've taken about six or eight of these to see if my gifts have changed. And you know what? One of my gifts have changed in the last five years. God kind of anoints you over time as you grow in your faith. Uh, leadership and administration back 10 years ago. I was miserable at, and it's becoming one of my top gifts. God wants to work in you. And so on Facebook tonight, you will see it. You can download it and take this gift test. One of my gifts is to be an encourager. Do you guys know that? That's one of my spiritual gifts. I've always raised high. And I really broke down in first service, as I'm doing right now. Because I want you to know that if I could give a piece of my heart, if I could just give a little bit of my heart to you and show you how much God loves you and how much God wants you to be in his purpose, I would. You know, if I could just give you just a small piece of God's heart and he would look at you and you would receive it and you would receive how much he loves you, it's not how much I think he loves you, it's how much he loves you. If I could just give you a piece of my heart and give it to everybody in this church... And you could receive that. I might not have a heart at the end of the message. But it would be worth it. Because God is here. And he's loving you. And he's challenging you. Live for my purpose. Live in my gifts. And I promise you, your life will be edifying to you and the people around you. Take this message as a challenge. Go online and take the test. Even if you've done it before and you've taken 15 tests, so have I. And one of my gifts has changed. God wants you to work in the next 40 days for his kingdom and his purpose. If that's you today, if you feel something right now, if you feel a tug in your heart, will you just quietly say to God, yes, God. We just say, yes, Lord, I'm going to take this 40-day challenge and put my everything into that relationship again. And once you get to that 40 days, we're going to commission you to do it for the rest of your life. So I want to just close today in prayer. And I want to fan into flames the Holy Spirit so that the gifts will really kind of fly through this place. There will be healing gifts and spiritual loving gifts. Prophecy, words to other people. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to move right now as we get ready to worship. Father, in your name we come before you. Holy Spirit, move boldly so that we can live out our purposes. Burn away all the dross, all the negative in our life so that we can be pure gold for your kingdom. Father, I ask that you move in a way that radically allows us to walk away from bad habits and bad feelings and unforgiveness and into the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask if there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus, that needs a new relationship, that wants to live in your purpose now and forever, and they want to walk away from their old, that they will rise up and stand for the glory of God and receive Him as a new new saint in the kingdom of God. If that's you today, repeat a prayer of salvation so that you can be in the kingdom, the greatest kingdom of all time, on the winningest team of all time. If that's you, repeat after me. Father, forgive me for my sins. Come into my life, come into my soul, and be my Lord and Savior. The Bible says you died and rose again, and I want to know more about that, Father. And lastly, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit. Ask, Holy Spirit, come over me right now. Teach me how to be brave in my walk with you. Teach me how to be brave to walk away from my struggles and my fears. I accept you as my Savior. Let me walk with you now to eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.